You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Thank you to the music team. Thank you, everyone, here and online. Melvin continues to be away, enjoying uh, some respite, and we pray for him. Look forward to uh, his return. As we often do, or we do, I think, every Sunday, we've got the ushers coming forward with Bibles. Uh, the Bible's important. And so if you haven't got yours with you here this morning, please borrow one. If you don't own a Bible, that would be our gift to you. It's the greatest gift we can give and that anyone can receive is God's Word. So please take that. We stand on the Word of God. That just means that what we uh, do, whether it's in a message or a song or everything else, uh, that's our foundation. And we stand under it accountable. And so please use your Bibles to hold uh, everything that happens here today accountable to uh, God. I'm wondering if you could just with your imagination a little bit, just in your mind's eye, uh, just think of yourself down at City Park, uh, down there near the water. It's an early day. It's probably much like today. There's no wind. The water's calm. And uh, then we see this man walking along the decorative path and then uh, just, just behind him a little bit, there's this rather large crowd following along. And he steps off the path down into the sandy beach and up to the water. And then he just turns around. And this somewhat large crowd uh, forms this, this fairly large semicircle around him. And on one hand, if we're looking at him, we might kind of express Isaiah 53. And we'd say things like, there's not really much about him that that is of great form or majesty. It's not like he's looking like a statesman and, and there's something in him we desire. But on the other hand, as you kind of sit there, you've been following him along and you've been listening to him for a little while and you spend time with him, maybe you're a little bit drawn to describe him as we just sang. No pen, no quill, no scribe in perfect skill with flawless words could capture all he is. Just a glimpse of him is compelling. And maybe, maybe not just yet, but maybe in time, you might even say words like, light of the world, you step down into darkness. You opened my eyes and you let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. I'm thinking that might have been a little bit of what it was like 2,000, almost 2,000 years ago in the passage that we're going to uh, take a look at this morning in Mark chapter 2. I'm just curious, are you enjoying your walk, our walk through the book of Mark? Good. It's, this is a book, or a, a letter written by John Mark. He was originally uh, written to the believers that were in Rome. Uh, John would be his Hebrew name. Mark would be his Roman name. He was not one of the 12 disciples. He had a godly mom who held prayer meetings in her house, and he accompanied Paul on Paul's first missionary journey. Tradition holds it that Mark was martyred, that he was dragged by horses through, this, through the streets of the city until he died. And we started this series, I think, on June 12th, and uh, Meldon uh, entitled that uh, Mess Ups and Messengers, and that's me. But before you get too uh, agreeable to that, the Bible also tells me and you, if, if Christ is your Savior, that you are a highly favored one. 
and a Christ carrier to the world. So Mark, the story of Jesus, he, this was uh, chronologically or historically the first of the four Gospels that was written. And in Mark records the most miracles of any of the four Gospels. So we started uh, with that mess up some messengers and we find ourselves now that it doesn't matter if you wear camel skins, got long hair, uh, eat a diet of locusts and honey, right? A little bit strange. You can still call people to repentance and point them to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And hopefully we will take a little bit a look at that today. Two weeks ago now, just to kind of recap uh, two weeks ago and today, two weeks ago, Melvin finished off chapter one and that was the uh, healing of the, um, of the leper. The leper was cleansed. And uh, something that we took away from that was, although you and I might be a follower of Jesus, we can get in the way of ministry. We can be a hindrance. We can impede it. We can be disobedient. Last week, Brett launched us into chapter two with the uh, paralytic that was dropped down through the, the roof, right? And uh, we saw that addressing obstacles for others to get to the message of Jesus is something that we needed to uh, be reminded of. Brett challenged us not to have an individualistic salvation experience, rather to be lowerers of paralytics and fishers of men. So this morning, what we're going to do is look at, well, who are we going fishing for? We'll take a look at um, Jesus' example. So these three weeks, I think, presented us with three um, imperatives or directional commitments that we all might make. Number one, we listen to the master and we're, we're, and we're going to be careful not to hinder his plan. At number two, we can't allow size to get in the way. We need to be blowing the roofs off of obstacles so that others can know the forgiveness of sins. And third, today, what we're going to look at is uh, we need to do life with the sick, and we've got to introduce them to the great physician. By God's grace, I'm hoping this morning, I'm trusting that you're going to be moved with what strikes me as the big idea in this passage. It's going to translate to an ask on my life and an ask on yours. And just as Jesus did, when we get to the end of the message, I'm going to ask you to respond. To get to that, we're going to first take a, a little note of three habits. Three habits that we see in the life of Jesus, which arguably should be, then be habits in the life of someone who professes Jesus as their Savior. Edgar Rice Burroughs said this, We are all, we are, all of us, creatures of habit. I've often said that. We're creatures of habit. The dictionary defines habit as this, a settled tendency or usual manner, a regular practice. So I got to thinking about some of the habits that people have, like chewing nails or cracking knuckles. If I'm sitting beside someone that's cracking knuckles, I literally cannot sit still. Um, how about this one? Looking at the tissue after you've blown your nose. Picture that. We do it. It's a habit, it seems to be. I'm not sure why. Uh, sucking your thumb. Uh, my wife, Carrie Ann, uh, tells me that uh, in her childhood years, maybe a little longer in her childhood years, that she sucked her thumb to the point that she was conscious of, when I get married, how am I going to hide that from my husband? <laughs> what actually makes me wonder, is there something you're hiding from me? They go on, tapping your fingers to a beat. The one that I can't do is that twirling a pen, some people do, right, um, in their, their fingers. I've got habits. 
like the way I empty the dishwasher and put the dishes away. It has to be done in exactly a certain manner. The way, the process, I'd even call it, that I brush my teeth and floss my teeth. Uh, every morning, there's this computer uh, uh, order when I fire up the computer. First, I read a Bible passage. Then it might be a couple of Bible articles. Then it's the weather, very next thing, to the hour, I want to know what that temperature is going to be. Then it's Facebook, and then it's Castanet uh, News. And Carrie Ann, I'm sure, could tell you a whole lot more habits and, and usual tendencies that I have. I came across an article that said there's 11 unique, 11 unique and unusual habits that can change your life. Can you imagine that? Who here came wondering if I could change my life? You just got to read an article on 11 unusual habits, and, um, and your life's changed. 15 years ago, there was a study done, a pretty exhaustive study, that found that 90% or more of what you and I do during a day is just follows a, a routine so complete that you can actually predict what someone's going to do with very close um, uh, accuracy. So we're creatures of habit. At Hope, we're committed to discipleship and church planting. When you think about discipleship, being a disciple disciplines habits that are about doing what the master does. It's kind of like being an apprentice who's just trying to um, mimic or do what the journeyman does. So what might be the habits of those people that are enamored with Jesus? And reading the Gospels, we see the regular practices of Jesus and we observe them. And Mark presents uh, Jesus through the lens of uh, the, servant, uh, the servant king. In chapter 10, Jesus, it's recorded that Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. You go, Jesus. That's good for you. But I'm not so sure I want to give my life a ransom for many. Well, we just back up a couple chapters and we read that those who will lose their life will save it. So did you get that? The context, if you read that passage, is that there for, for there to be any lasting value in my life, I have to lose it for the sake of the gospel. So as a disciple of Jesus, if that's what you uh, profess to be, are you serving and then are you giving up your life to win some for Christ? We're going to look at today's passage, Mark chapter 2, if you want to turn there in, in verse 13. And we're going to see how Jesus served and how Jesus gave up his life. And where we're sort of situated is the northern part of Israel. We're right uh, just south of uh, Lebanon um, to the uh, east. Well, below is, the, um, is West Bank. You often hear about that, not the one across Okanagan Lake, the one in uh, Israel. And we often hear about the West Bank in the news. And then just to the east is the Golan Heights. You often hear about that. And then just to the east of that is Syria. And we're at the Sea of Galilee, and that drains down into the Jordan River and goes all the way south and hits into the Dead Sea. And, and that's kind of where you see uh, Jerusalem and Jericho and, and Bethlehem. So it just gives you an idea. We're in, the, we're in the northern part of Israel, and we're in Capernaum. And Capernaum is just a bit northeast, northeast, yep, northeast of, of Nazareth. You'll remember Nazareth, where Jesus spent most of his, uh, uh, to our knowledge, spent most of his boyhood or his growing up days. Now, Capernaum would be like the New York City of today. It would be the um, original World Trade Center of, of its day. And that's where we find ourselves. And so we jump into this story on the heels of what we looked at last week. 
And we had some insight last week. Jesus gave it to us. Well, why did he do these miracles? You see, I think we get, uh, understandably so, a little gobsmacked at all the crazy things that, that you know, wild things that Jesus uh, did. But as we earn, learned last week, he did those miracles to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins. And so the crowd said, we've never seen anything like this. In another passage, the crowd or the witnesses said, we've never heard anyone speak like this. So if you're like me, you're ready to tune in and see, well, what other things is Jesus doing? So as Melvin would say, let's get to it. So in chapter 2, verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Levi was a tax collector, which meant he was despised by his countrymen. He was a traitor, would be another word uh, that you could describe him. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, what does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Gary Miller, it's a quote, says that reading the Bible isn't just reading words on a page, but it's listening to the one who loves us more than life itself and who has a very clear agenda for our lives and our world. Well, when we read those four or five verses, what's the agenda that the one who loves you the most has for you? Here's a question for you after having read that. Are you sick or well in your mind? Are you less sick than someone else you know? Maybe you're feeling like you're not as sick as others. Maybe you've got a little bit of an attitude that, hey, uh, I kind of think sometimes about how healthy I am. Or are you an Isaiah 6 man, a person of unclean lips? Or a Luke 18 person, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or are you Paul, the chief of sinners? Because if you're in that latter group, then our passage here has got some good news. We have a doctor that makes house calls. Here we see a traitor and a sinner that became a writer of a gospel about Jesus the King. So the first habit, what do we see Jesus doing and what ought we to be doing is going. We're going to look at going, following, teaching. Going. It's going to appear in the fuller passage here, but it also all just occurs right in verse 13. And the verb tense is when you look at Jesus went out and people were following and Jesus was teaching, or all if, if you were in the Greek, it's an imperfect tense. It just means it's continuous. It's a habit. It just goes on and on and on. Uh, and, and repeats itself. We're all going somewhere. And the question for each of us is, where are you going? And we're all following someone or something at any given moment, at every moment of the day. The question is, who or what are you following? And we're all teaching. 
And the question is, well, what's the curriculum that you're using? So going, you know, it opens up here. He went out again. And that just struck me. Like I just stopped there. Jesus went out again and again. He was on mission. He was on point. He was not on vacation. He was not compartmentalizing the spiritual part of his life. He went out again. In chapter 1, near the end, it said, Jesus said to them, hey, let's go to some more towns because that's why I came. In the very next verse, it says, and he went. And I would say, and he went, and he went, and he went, and he went. He went out again. It started with him in heaven. To earth he went. He stepped down. And he gave up what was rightfully his. And he went. He went out again. In Isaiah and Luke, we read that he set his face like a flint. It means it's unbreakable. You, you actually can't destroy it. It's, it's going to happen. We read that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And these times were and spitting. I gave happens as it happens happens we make our plans he orders our steps following you know the crowds they couldn't get enough of him he was trending i mean the number of follows and likes broke records the tweets and retweets were incredible like no one else like never seen before and he said follow me now the very first time that it's recorded that he said follow me is in chapter one and he adds something. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Therein is a, not just a clue, a blunt um, uh, outcome of following him. I will make you fishers. If I haven't made, been fishing for men, I might be questioning, am I following him? Levi rose, we read here, and, and followed he actually didn't have to be asked twice. He just got up and rose. When we read the Luke account, the same story happens in Luke and Matthew and Mark. Uh, when we read that account, it says he left everything. It's been said that he left, the only thing he took with him was a pen and some ink so he could write the gospel of Matthew. He left it all. He left everything, and then he invites Jesus, and then he invites all the other Levi types to join him, over at his house. He brings his associates into close contact with Jesus. He's showing love for Jesus and for his associates who are on the road bound for hell. That is the mark of a follower of Christ. I'm following and I'm inviting people over to meet my Jesus. But also in the crowd here that was following Jesus were the Pharisees. They're mentioned a hundred odd times uh, in, in our New Testament, in our Bible. They were part of the sort of the religious ruling body, the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin. Yeah, that word. Sanhedrin. 
they were originally, if we went back in time, to maintain the integrity of God's word. That's, that's what they were there for. Uh, but it had deteriorated to this uh, legally um, uh, void of compassion life, this hypocrisy. Even to the point, like what we're reading here today, they had this misguided angst against the son of the God, the very God that they said they were following after. So what part of the crowd are you in? The, the um, Pharisees, by their self-declaration, had eliminated themselves from the reason that Jesus came. They said, we're clean, we're righteous. And he said, well, I, I, I came for the sick and the unrighteous. So are you in denial? Are you in fear? Or are you in belief? Denial would be like the Pharisees, the finger pointers. But since are taking a biblical counseling course, I think it was the first lesson, the first session said, everybody counsels, everybody's giving counsel. The mere fact that you interact with people, engage in life with people, you're counseling them. The question they said in the video was, what are you counseling? Well, I would suggest the same thing about teaching. We're all teaching. The question is, what are we teaching to some others? Here's how we teach. We teach in the opinions we hold and share. We teach in the lifestyle we keep. We teach by the, way, uh, by the things we buy and the things we don't buy. Uh, we teach by the way of our social media posts. We teach by how much time or how much uh, time are people aware of how much time we're in prayer.
necessary to come in contact with them. That's what he was teaching. Do you spend time with traitors and sinners? The scourge of society? Jesus called Matthew and said, follow me. And where do they head? To Matthew's house for a party with lots of other Matthew types or Levi types. He didn't say, hey Matthew, can, can I just have a word with you in private? Or, hey everyone, uh, could Matthew and I just have the room? No, we're going to your house with a bunch more people just like you. It wasn't, I wonder what the Romans will think or the Jewish people or the religious leaders or the disciples. Thank you. But he made himself, this is what Jesus said. We put out the noise of the world and we say, he made himself. you know, want to be around because they're the same as me. I'm not so sure I want to engage with the folk that bridges to new life or at shelters or halfway houses or those on the medians at the intersection that I don't want to make eye contact with. But if you do what Jesus did, you're going to probably get some criticism. And there's going to be people off in the corner talking about you and questioning you. And Jesus marched right into their world, the outcast and the downcast. Those were who were, they, they were very used to being passed by. They were now invited into an audience with the king. God incarnate spent time with those that the religious establishment didn't want. To Jesus, the wounded were not a burden. The hurting are not in the way. It's not sinners get, uh, getting a life that
and save the lost that we might live through him I came to satisfy all the judgment that our sin has racked up the Bible says I can know that I have eternal life that Jesus is the true God and that Jesus is eternal life it's made bluntly clear that knowing Jesus as what as Christ as Messiah as anointed as appointed as God incarnate in the flesh that's actually what we must hold to in order to gain heaven and to avoid hell that if we don't share that conviction of who Christ is the Bible says we're actually not one of his the question is we all have to answer is who is Jesus it's a question Jesus wanted us to wrestle with he asked his disciples who who do people say I am Skeptical when the person, something else, and some other guy up there saying, I'm going to ask you all to respond. You're with Jesus. I'm curious. I don't like this concept of Jesus. I'm not sure about this all in thing. There's actually pieces of my life that would be far too radical uh, to give up. I mean, what would people think? Or maybe you're Matthew. You're all in. You live, leaving everything and you're inviting others. Come on. You signed up for Discipleship 101. Bring it on. Jesus came to call people to repentance. Who in this story doesn't that apply to? Who here this morning or online doesn't that apply to? I'm calling it a repentance, he said. In the matter
Nope. He's on the ground where they live and he's eating the same food. Why? They nominated citizen of the year. He loved them and because he knew they needed to hear what he had to say. Poor, think about this in your life, the poor, the rich, the evil, the good. Who are we neglecting because of their reputation or their station in life? Am I befriending those who need Christ regardless of whether they're my ideal companion? And if you're unsure how to do that, why don't you check with Bridges to New Life or the Pregnancy Center or other ministries that clearly are focused on the gospel that bring both truth and love as their mission. Maybe you could ask Glenn or Lester or Brian or others that attend here at Hope. We can ask them questions like, who do you see that, that needs Jesus' help today? And, and how can I take Christ to them? Levi was a tax collector. He was those that overcharged and skimmed off the top and made themselves rich. He was a leech, despised by his own people. His name means joined or adhesion. Originally, because he was connected to the, the tribe of Levi. These are the group of people that, that served in God's house. Now he's joined to serving a government where there's pagan worship. Jesus and his mother, by now, would have, would have um, migrated from Nazareth to Capernaum, somewhere along uh, his growing up years. Think that through. The potential is that Jesus actually sometimes would have stopped at Levi's toll booth as the eldest male of the, of the home would have paid taxes on behalf of his mom and the family to this guy. And then on this day, Levi, follow me. Matthew, you know what that name means? A gift of Jehovah. It's testament to the transforming power of God that takes a traitor and makes him a gift of God to, uh, a gift to God and a gift to others. The one who left everything and immediately invited Mandy to come over to his house and meet Jesus. He didn't waste time doing that. I wonder sometimes if we bought too much into the lifestyle evangelism thing. Like, I'll just live a good life and I'll wait for someone to ask. But Jesus went out and Matthew invited. What do we need to, to know or do before I, I can tell someone else about Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. There's a daughter of mine here. I won't give you her name. She just has four kids. But um, two or three weeks ago, she was in someone else's house where a contractor was and just listened to that guy's life story, invited him to church. We, we don't need to wait for permission. The doctor's in the house. He's here for you. Our humble Savior tireless, tirelessly pursued the marginalized in society. He was kind and compassionate without discrimination at a great cost and loss himself. He didn't die on a cross to create little country clubs where we have weekly gatherings and we pat ourselves on the back for our good behavior and we meet in clusters during the week, but we do nothing to reach out to the community. Where did Jesus have success? On the roads and in the homes. Luke 18 tells the story of another Pharisee and tax collector. A story of, of, of Pharisees, they had their act together. They got regularly gathered at church. They did right living things. And they trusted in themselves. And in all of that, they treated others as less thans. They gave their time, their talent, their treasures. They went to church. And when you read that story, there he is standing by himself, praying. And then in that story, we read of the tax collector, the traitor, the sinner. Where's he standing? Afar off. 
And in his humility, he's, he's unworthy to look at, at God or towards heaven. He says, you're God, and I'm a sinner, and you have what I need. Mercy. I'm going to ask you to, um, with your heads maybe bowed if you care to, or if you care to close your eyes, and the band's going to come up, and I think we have prayer partners here today. There's two questions as we, we move to our close. And the closing song that you're going to hear is an invitation. We've got these prayer partners, people waiting to pray with you. Coming up here is not saying, Father, I'm so happy I'm not like others. Rather, coming up here is I, I'm saying, I'm coming to your throne in need of your mercy and grace. Here's the two questions for us. One's a confession and the other is a profession. And will you confess and will you profess? We confess just how easy it is to go on the way that I am, to stick with what I've been doing, whether wallowing in practices of this world or in my own religiosity. The confession, how easy it is to think more highly of myself. So will you come and confess that he must increase and I must decrease? The other one is a question of professing. Will you profess Christ to your neighbor and beyond? You see, folks, we're just birds of a feather. That's human behavior. God, look at what you've accomplished here at Hope Kelowna. This is our, 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 our temptation. You must think well of us for us to be so blessed. I mean, so many others are perhaps just misguided. I, I think most of them aren't even saved, and even some of those saved ones just don't teach like we teach. All the while, there's people all around us who are far off. They're on their way to hell. There are people in Kelowna and West Kelowna and Lake Country and Okanagan Falls and Enderby and, 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 and. I'll leave you with this. Is the servant above his master? Jesus went out again and again and again. And he said, follow me again and again and again. Is Jesus passing by this morning? Is he passing by you? Well, change the wording of the scripture here. As he was passing by, he saw Todd. Todd sitting in his regular station of life. And he said to Todd, follow me. Follow me as my disciple. Fully accept me as your master and teacher and walk the same path of life that I walk. The question is whether I will get up and follow. The question is whether I will become his disciple all in. Believe him and trust him and follow his example. All of us here this morning have the highways and byways of our neighborhoods where we live. All of us have a voice to invite people to the wedding feast. So just as you are, come to the table. Let me pray. Father, as you've written in your word, Christ emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Therefore, Lord, you've highly exalted him. You've bestowed on him a name above every name, that at his name, every knee, Lord, every knee beyond who's gathered with us today might bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, that every tongue would confess it. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. How beautiful, Lord, the hands that served, the wine and the bread, and the sons of the earth. How beautiful, as we read the story of the feet that walked, the long dusty roads, and the hill to the cross. How beautiful, the tender eyes that chose to forgive and never despise. And as he lay down his life, Lord, this is our response. We offer this sacrifice that we will live just as he died.
willing to pay the price. How beautiful when Hope Kelowna, when the humble hearts give the fruit of pure lives so that others may live. How beautiful the feet that bring the sound of good news and the love of the King. How beautiful the hands that serve. How beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful. Amen.